From the Los Angeles Times, this is Coronavirus in California, stories from the front lines. I'm Gustavo Arellano. It's Thursday, May 7th. Today, for many of us, coronavirus has laid bare some fundamental problems with our society and made us consider what we might do to create a better world going forward. Activists are seizing on this moment of collective social conscience, but they're also struggling to rethink what organizing, protest, and social change looks like in a lockdown world. Patrice Cullors is an artist, activist, founder, and chair of Reform LA Jails and co-founder of Black Lives Matter. She has sheltered in place like the rest of us during this pandemic, but her work hasn't stopped. Blue Shield of California would like to take this moment to thank the mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, daughters, sons, friends, and heroes on the front line. This fight is tough, but so are you. And we're grateful for your courage and your dedication to keeping us all safe and healthy. Thank you. Patrice, you gave this quote to the Huffington Post that I found very powerful. It was, we cannot move at the slowness of bureaucracy. We need to move at the quickness of human life. You were talking about the prison system specifically, but I also took it like an overall philosophy about how to enact change in society. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Sure. I think that part of what happens um, inside of our movement spaces when we're challenging local government, state government, or national government, as we have to wait on them to make decisions and our lives are often um, at risk because of how long we have to wait. And I think in this moment, especially this COVID-19 moment, we're seeing how bureaucracy doesn't save lives. Um, We're actually seeing how human beings want and desire and need to do right actually changes lives. And I think that's the spirit of what I was saying was really a challenge to elected officials and appointed officials who are inside of these archaic institutions that are often too slow to respond to um, the needs of the now. Yeah, because a lot, especially at moments like this, that's where you do see communities from the bottom rising up to challenge, as you put, those archaic bureaucracies. Absolutely. Among activists right now, what's the mood out there right now? It depends. I think here in Los Angeles, especially inside of the criminal justice reform movement, we are feeling both frustrated and also incredibly ignited around this time. We understand that the work we've been doing for the last 10 years to position a new vision for Los Angeles, a vision that is rooted in human dignity, is what is most important. And that although many of our you know, elected officials are not responding as quickly as they should, some are, many aren't, we feel like we are in the driver's seat of this, of this moment. And I think that's really powerful. I think if you talk to other you know, activists on the ground, organizers on the ground, especially in the housing rights movement, where there's been such little and almost more damage from elected officials, it's a little bit more tricky, right? I can't believe that our elected officials, both at the local and the state at the state level, aren't saying, you know what, rent freeze, mortgage freeze, like we're in a pandemic, we don't know what's happening. Instead, you know, they're putting it the burden on poor people and working people, and that's deeply unfortunate. What does coronavirus tell you about the United States we lived in and the United States that's now going to be ahead of us? Oh, man. The coronavirus is telling us, and when I say us, I mean the world, um, what organizers have been saying for a very long time, which is we live in a capitalist system that benefits 
only uh, a few that is laser focused on money over people. And you would think in the middle of one of the biggest pandemics we've seen in our lifetime that it would shift the course for everybody. But in fact, that has not been the case. Our national government has been incredibly dangerous, both in rhetoric, but also in practice. And we've also seen such great despair in so many communities, including essential workers who are standing up for their rights and saying, we need more in this moment. I'm thinking about the nurses and the doctors who for months on end did not receive proper PPE to take care of sick and dying people. And that to me is a travesty. And that's what we're seeing in this moment. And that's what's being exposed. And where we go from here as a country is so, so critical. Where we go from here as a city, as a state is so critical. Uh, Are we going to continue to practice in ways that prioritize harm? Or are we going to practice in ways that prioritize care? I don't know what elected officials are going to do, but I know that the people of Los Angeles who've always cared about Los Angeles, who's cared about California and the country, we are going to continue to do the work. And I think that's incredibly important. And you're also seeing almost an awakening of people going on parts of social justice that you would have never imagined. Like what I'm thinking about is like the meatpacking industry where it's so impacted right now. I mean, people knew always the meat came from maybe not the food chains totally broken, but they're realizing most of the people that are working at the meatpacking industries are people of color, are immigrants, and they're getting so disproportionately affected by COVID-19. Absolutely. I think we are seeing the nooks and crannies of spaces that many of us know nothing about, don't ha- haven't lived those lives, and recognizing um, how important it is that we have a more consistent understanding of how we move as a country, how we operate. Many people, even though we've had a, a really strong criminal justice reform movement for, I would say, a decade now, there were still people who didn't realize, oh, yeah, people in jails can't social distance. People in prisons can't social distance. What are we going to do with this population? And and more importantly, how do we understand public safety in this moment? Are we going to dig our feet into old 90s rhetoric that that calls for criminal, quote, criminals to be sent to jail no matter what? Or are we going to rearrange how we understand people who end up inside jails and prisons and reshift our focus? This LA Times podcast is presented by Blue Shield of California. The fight is tough, but so are you. Thank you, Frontline. This advertiser has no influence over editorial decisions or content. Patrice, one of the main efforts, of course, that you've been involved in for years is equity or, you know, challenging the jail system. And right now, your group has sued L.A. County Sheriff Alex Villanueva and the Board of Supervisors over conditions in the county jail. There's so many issues surrounding coronavirus. Why do you think this one in particular is so important right now? Because what happens in our jails doesn't just happen in our jails. It impacts everybody, be it staff be it deputies, be it nurses, be it the people that the staff come home to. What happens in our jails is actually the epicenter 
of what will happen to the rest of us if we do not fix it or if we do fix it. And so we were hearing, even though the jails are down, I think it's 11,880 people, we still need more people out of those jails. We still need to figure out a way that people inside can social distance safely. And we also heard from folks inside and from staff that there isn't enough care happening inside. There isn't enough soap. There isn't enough hand sanitizer. There, there are all these things that the people inside are not being given that impact them and the people that work there and the people that they go home to. And so Los Angeles County Jails has always been the epicenter of how we understand criminal justice. And it's also right now the epicenter of how we understand the intersections of criminal justice and coronavirus. And of course, when it comes to the carceral system, it overwhelmingly impacts community of color and working class communities as well. What does that say that coronavirus has struck communities of color and working class communities so hard? What's your takeaway from that? That racism exists. (laughs) We cannot continue to live inside a country that denies the real and concrete impacts of racism and institutional racism. It was not a surprise to me when I started to read the statistics that black people and brown people and poor people are having the most dramatic impact of coronavirus on our bodies and our systems that we're dying the most and not just elderly black and brown people, but younger in their 30s and their 40s, people who are my age who are contracting coronavirus and dying from it. This is not just about the virus. This is about a decades old system that has relied on neglecting black and brown bodies. What are some of the challenges, but also openings you're seeing right now to organize? Um, We can't go outside. Um, And while many right-wing protesters have decided that they are going to risk their own um, immune system and their lives to go outside, I'm really proud of, of organizers and advocates who have redesigned how we actually continue to organize. None of us have stopped. In fact, our work has often doubled. And we are still contacting people. There's still people who are on their phones and we're texting folks, we're calling folks. We have completely rearranged our organizing to be in the digital space. And that to me is powerful. We have to understand that the digital space is probably going to be the space that we live inside of for quite some time. And it doesn't mean that our advocacy stops. It means that our advocacy continues and it grows stronger in this moment. So I see openings that more people want to get involved. They want to know, how can I help? People are at home and many of us who can be at home are bored. People who are not sort of in the work want to do more than what they've been doing. And I think that's powerful. I think the challenges are are really um, not knowing what's to come, not knowing what's next, really wanting to uh, remind people that our mental and our emotional health is so important in this moment and remind folks that we don't know what's to come, but what we do have is each other right now. Do you think that the public at large gets the urgency of inequities or finally gets inequities at moments like this? Or do you think it just makes them more apathetic? It depends. It depends. I think there's some groups of people who get more activated in these moments. I think there's some people that feel a lot of despair and are like, well, what can we do and and, and are not activated in this moment? And I think there's people who are, are conservative right wing efforts that are disrupting our ability to get back to, quote, normal. 
give some shout outs to either groups or individuals that you see are stepping up at right now. I love shout outs. <laughs> I want to shout out um, advocacy groups in Los Angeles specifically, like Justice LA, Reformula Jails, Dignity and Power Now, Youth Justice Coalition, statewide, California's United for Responsible Budget. Um, I also want to shout out brilliant queer communities who are showing up for each other, queer communities of color, most folks who are often left out of stimulus packages, left out of conversations, people like Amita Swadin, who from the very beginning started a mutual aid fund specifically for queer folks of color, queer and trans folks of color, and has raised a significant amount of money for those communities. I also want to shout out artists, artists like For Freedoms, an organization that that we've teamed up with here in Los Angeles. We have an artist relief fund. I'm really grateful to be teaming up with the Crenshaw Dairy Mart, which is an artist-run gallery in Inglewood that we're working with. I want to shout out Trap Heels, Damon Turner, who's doing amazing work right now, and a, a brilliant curator, Autumn Breon Williams, young Black woman from South Central, who's also reimagining what this moment looks like. There's so many of us right now who are reimagining this moment. And finally, you talked earlier about this is Mental Health Awareness Month. And so for activists, of course, it seems like the job is never done. And right now during coronavirus, even you said it's like people are working doubly hard. So what are some self-help tips you could give folks out there? Um, Number one, check out any of the apps that are meditation apps. A lot of folks who don't consider themselves meditators are now meditating. Take time out of the day for yourself, whether that's five minutes, 15 minutes, an hour, Watch the news, but don't obsess over it. We do need to understand what's going on. But I recognized very early that I was obsessing and I was I want I was reading every news outlet from the morning to the evening and it was causing great anxiety. So take time away from the news, your phone. Um, There's some great content right now on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon. So check out content. I write on a show called Good Trouble. All of our seasons are on Hulu. Check it out. It's all about the issues happening in Los Angeles. And, you know, I also tell people to check on your friends and your family and community. We may be sheltering in place. Some of us are doing it alone. We are not alone. It may feel lonely, but we're not alone. Reach out to people. Let them know your needs. Start a group thread. Thank you so much for this interview. I really appreciate it. This was awesome. Thank you so much. That's it for today's episode of Coronavirus in California, Stories from the Front Lines. Thanks for listening. Do you have a story you want to share with us? Call our hotline at 213-986-5652 and leave us a message. That's 213-986-5652 or email me, gustavo.ariano at latimes.com. This podcast was hosted by me, Gustavo Ariano. Our producers are Paige Heimsen and Stan Lee. Our senior producer is Rena Palta and our executive producer is Abby Fenter Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin, and our original music was composed by Andrew Epin. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special gracias to Julia Turner, Shelby Grad, Hector Becerra, and Clint Schaff. For the latest coronavirus stories by my LA Times colleagues, including an up-to-the-minute tracker of cases across California, don't forget to visit our website. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the LA Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Stay safe and see you tomorrow.